We are delighted that this episode of Starts at the Top is sponsored by Avato CRM Solutions. Avato CRM Solutions designs and delivers award-winning customer service, business process outsourcing, and digital and intelligent automation solutions of some of the world's most respected brands, as well as innovative charity and public sector clients. They partner with clients to help them define their customer experience and transformation strategies by implementing the right technology, people and processes to improve their customer journey while driving new efficiencies and helping them prepare for the future. To find out more about how Avato CRM solutions could help an organisation like yours and to receive a free no-obligation chat, visit avato.co.uk forward slash Wales Air Ambulance. It was 100 years ago that we moved from a six-day working week to a five-day working week. In some respects, I think it's quite bizarre that we're still wedded to this model, given the world of work has obviously transformed since then. Welcome to a brand new episode of Starts at the Top, our podcast about digital leadership and change. I'm Paul Thomas. And I'm Zoe Ammer. This week, we're excited to share our conversation with Joe Ryle, who is the director of the Four Day Week campaign. This is a subject that has been even more front and centre of all of our minds since the pandemic and something you and I speak about quite often, isn't it, Paul? Yeah, it's something that comes up a lot and in conversations we've had with people about flexible working conditions and patterns and how I think, you know, the pandemic caused us all to reset the way our working weeks are set up and shape up. Um, But this was interesting because I think what Joe and his team are edging towards is more systemic and societal change. And it makes for a really interesting conversation. But so how do you feel about it? So I know we've we've talked about this before, but are you ready to make the move to a four day week or even a nine day fortnight? Oh, I would love to do that. I've had an aspiration about doing this ever since I started my business 10 years ago. And I know it is something I will do at some point. I think I've just not organised enough to do it at the moment. How about you? Yeah, kind of similar. And I think it does come down to that organisation, doesn't it? So I was having a conversation with somebody that we both know um, not so long ago, and they do a really good thing where they um, uh, block out meetings every second Friday and try to take every second Friday off. So essentially a nine day fortnight. But I think it's that crucial bit that I think the first step towards doing that is no meetings. So, you know, Mm. putting nothing in the calendar for that Friday. So you can actually concentrate on some of the things that you need to concentrate on. And I think discipline around that is is probably key. Uh, The first thing for me when it comes to that sort of stuff always starts with actually just not opening email. That's the one that that's the killer app, I think. If you don't open email, your start to the day is is so much more serene. It's the, the email inbox and things that have happened overnight or early in the morning that tend to, to throw me off when I've set the day to do something else. But yeah, it's interesting. And, and I think Joe's um, insight into it's really interesting. And it'd be good to know from our listeners how they're experimenting with, with giving people that, that flexibility back into their lives. So yeah, uh, stay tuned for that. Um, other thing we were going to discuss was uh, threads. Um, 
you've made the move over i see uh, i have moved i have moved uh some of my social presence over there if that's not a, a grandiose term basically i've set up an account i'm still on twitter obviously not engaging with it as much as other people are in the same in the same sort of way i think everyone is engaging in a much more transactional way with twitter now unfortunately because that's just become the norm for that platform but I've got quite a good feeling about threads I mean it will be interesting to see how it develops the big challenge with it at the moment is they just don't seem to be listening to user feedback about accessibility and that is going to limit their capacity to scale I mean surely they understand that it's a real shame they've missed out on their big time mm. It would be nice for one of these platforms to start off on the right foot on many different levels rather than just the one. So they've got the bit about, um, you know, a welcoming community quite right, but not welcoming everyone. So, you know, that's um, that's, that's that's a big thing to fix. But It yeah, shouldn't I, be I, an afterthought. You shouldn't be doing and accessibility. You should be doing accessibility and, shouldn't you? You should be starting with how... Com- that would be a much better differentiator from Twitter, wouldn't it? How might we make this new platform as inclusive and democratic as possible and then build the other functionality around it? And it would probably be much easier to make decisions if you make inclusion and accessibility the, the key cornerstones. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. But don't forget, you know, these these are engineers that have only worked on Facebook and Instagram. It's not like they've done this before. <laughs> yeah. It's a brand new a brand new venture from a team of people that should have some previous in how to set these things up right and you know, plenty of experience doing so. I, I I'm sort of quite surprised to find myself on it because I, I sort of I haven't mourned the death of Twitter as much as I thought I would. So when I sort of saw thread and thought, oh, just as I was sort of getting out, you dragged me back in, and that was that's essentially my first my first thread. It was like, oh, here I am. Um, but I think it's it's good to be there and good to sort of um, uh, see how it shapes up. Um, I guess watch this space, see how it, it develops over time. But you're right, there are some certain fundamentals that it needs to start getting right quite quickly. Otherwise, they can find themselves with a, their own revolt and people um, leaving in droves. Uh, mm. I was interested also to see Ian Dunt, who uh, obviously was guest on this podcast, sort of claiming it as this is the place to be now. Um, but it'd be interesting to see whether um, journalists and the news agenda sort of moves from Twitter over to something else, because I think Twitter is still so ingrained uh, in, in, in that world. So, so I'm not sure that it will move over. Uh, so I'm sure I saw a post from Ian actually not long after launch saying that and forgive me, I hope I'm not misquoting Ian here, so please do check his feed. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw a post from him saying something about how news wasn't going to be as much of a priority in the algorithm. And I think he was quoting someone from the actual platform, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me because if one of the things they want to do with it is to make it a friendlier, more open space than putting that stuff back in straight away, um, which is what causes most people to fall out with each other and have that um, negative discussion is is, is possibly a, a misstep. But we will see. We will wait and reserve judgment for later in the next season. We'll come back to it and see whether we're still using it. Um, and mm. also this week you launched the Charity Digital Skills Report. So we can just talk about that for a minute. 
Yeah, yeah, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, very uh, exciting report this year uh, for the reason that for the first time we asked people in a bit more depth about how they were responding to the challenge of AI. So we actually ran a flash poll alongside the survey as well as exploring some more uh, lighter touch emerging tech issues within the report itself definitely seen a massive increase in interest in this area over the last year unsurprisingly so 66 percent of charities said that they're interested in making use of emerging tech such as ai and chat gpt so that was actually up very very significantly from the year before it was only 15 percent in 2022 uh, so it would be interesting to see how that develops further across the sector. And of course, cost of living, the other big topical issue of the year. So 27% of charities saying that the cost of living is a significant challenge to how they are using digital. And that's where funders listening to what charities are saying in the report about how they need more funding, more support, more guidance with digital is really really key so we hope that funders will listen to what charities are telling them through the mechanism of the report and respond to that yeah it's having an impact isn't it on many levels but when it comes to ability to invest um i guess is it a mixture maybe perhaps of the um of the when some cases where where digital technology can be quite hard um, to sell into organisations, and yet you add the the added benefit of or the added cost implications to that, and it just becomes something that, that oh, we can do that tomorrow, tomorrow, um, rather than uh, getting on board with it now. Um, the 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 AI um, shift is incredible, though. Up to sixty? Did you say sixty six percent? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's huge. And then also, what we saw in the flash poll was you know, 78% saying that AI is relevant to their charity and could transform it. So that was much higher than I anticipated, actually. So that's good news. But 73% said that they didn't feel prepared to respond to the opportunities and challenges of AI. So right now in the sector, what we've got is people very much seeing that there's an opportunity here, but also not feeling prepared to respond. So the readiness just isn't there yet I really hope we'll start to see a sea change in that over the next few months it would be great to see the regulator sector bodies coming together and funders as well obviously to provide that support and guidance and convening spaces for charities to learn together about AI and how we can influence the policy in this area as well because that is also a vacuum right now yeah yeah it's huge um it's huge um in in another ai related news um we went to see the the new mission impossible film last friday which is all about the rise of ai and the challenge of ai and as a as a, as a global concern so you know if tom cruise is worrying about it then um the rest of us need to be thinking about it too mm, yeah well he would be a great podcast guest if he um fancied coming along he, he needs to get in line. Um, yeah. <laughs> he needs to get in line. Oh, we do have some exciting people lined up for uh, next season, don't we? And um, yeah, he would need to join the back of the queue. Yeah, yeah, we need to we need to vet him before he comes on. I think make sure he's got plenty to say. Anyway, talking of somebody that's got plenty to say, uh, over to our interview with with Joe Ryan. 
So we have a lot of discussion on Starts at the Top about how we're all making changes to the way that we work post-pandemic. And for years, it seems, we've been talking about and looking for a better work-life balance. A recent poll showed that 58% of the British public expected a four-day week to be the normal way of working by 2030, with only 22% believing it wouldn't. The four-day week campaign is leading the way on this search for balance, and we're delighted to welcome its director, Joe Ryle, to the podcast. Hi, Joe, and welcome to Starts at the Top. Hi, thanks for having me on here. You're very welcome. So can you tell us and our listeners a bit more about your background and how you got involved in campaigning for this fundamental change in the way that we're approaching the working week? Yeah, so I've been working for a long time, I guess, like most people, like five days a week, sometimes sometimes more than that. Um, I, I used to work for the Labour Party and was involved in a couple of general election campaigns and I think in those days we were working six days seven, seven days a week on general election campaign um, and I was I was always lucky to to take part in work that I, that I largely really enjoyed but I just remember being quite struck by this kind of reality that um, there wasn't much time for life outside of work um, and that especially working in kind of high-end sort of high-level politics job like this kind of sense that my personal identity was a bit lost or something that was so kind of defined by work that it was kind of, I was kind of like, who am I outside of this? Um, and so I think when I was working, I did go down to four days. I took the, took the loss of, I did, did uh, take a pay cut at that point, but I was just, it was, I was suddenly so much enjoying, enjoying life a lot more, enjoying work a lot more, but, but also, you know, had a much better sense of who I was and what I enjoy outside of work. And I, I just felt like it was something, yeah, it just felt like the balance wasn't right, you know, like doing five out of your seven days every single week, doing the same thing every day. It just didn't feel like the balance was right. It didn't feel like life had a good balance to it. And so I was, I did think there was something in there in terms of the wider population that, that people could kind of, um, you know, that appealed to people. Um, and so, yeah, I'd, after working for the Labour Party I, and, then, and after those kind of elections, because the Labour Party did put the four-day working week in their manifesto, the 2019 general election, but, they, you know, they didn't do so well in that election. But I felt like it was something which deserved more attention, deserved more um, support. And so, yeah, I, I got involved in the campaign quite soon after that election. It's great. And it's um, it, it has sort of hung around as a conversation for, for years and years. Every employer I've ever met has sort of talked about striving for this work-life balance. And um, I'm always conscious, I think Zoe's the same, that there's this, this race every Friday to get to the end of the day and tick off the to-do list. But then Monday comes around. So this balance of five days versus two days, um, that the, the creation of the weekend is a sort of a, a, a concept that's been around for a number of years, but it's obviously getting that to the point where it feels a little bit outdated. Mm. I mean, yeah, very outdated. I mean, you know, it was 100 years ago that, that we won the weekend. It was 100 years ago that we moved from a six-day working week to a five-day working week, which at the time, you know, was, was, was designed for a more agricultural, industrial economy. And, it, you know, in, in some respects, I think it's quite bizarre that we're still wedded to this model, um, given the, the, you know, the world of work has obviously transformed since then. And if you look at the, the history, there's, there was kind of a, there's an interesting chart which shows the kind of decline in working hours since then. And, and working hours gradually did reduce until around the 1980s. But since the 1980s, they've almost flatlined. You know, we, we're almost working the exact same amount of hours as we were in the 1980s. When you, and when you think about all of the productivity gains we have had over the last few decades, you know, none of that has really been passed back to work in terms of more free time, more leisure time. So... We do think this is a change which is long overdue. Yeah. 
And Zoe, I was thinking it's that that age old conversation when you're at social occasions, when you do have your two days off, you're at social occasions and people say, so what do you do, Paul? And it's like, we have a conversation about music, about, you know, stuff mm. that I enjoy outside of work. We're, we're defined by mm. our working roles and our, our professions. And, and that that surely needs to, to change, um, given everything that we've been through in the past few years and even the last decade or so. Why is that, do we think? I mean, why do we all, and I'm guilty of doing it myself too, just define ourselves so much by what we do and how busy we are? I mean, I think it's a really fascinating discussion because, you know, we, we do have an acute problem in the UK where we, we do work some of the longest working hours in, in Europe, some of the longest hours in the world. I think apart from Greece, we work the longest hours in Europe, um, while also having one of the least productive economies. So like all these long working hours we're doing aren't they, isn't making us very productive. And I, I do think that just that seeps in culturally, doesn't it? I mean, I, I remember going to university and then going into work and it is that that first you know whenever you meet someone new that first question is kind of what do you do and that question always seems to be around work and and you're right it's like there's so much more to the world and so much more to ourselves as individuals and so you know it is gonna it is a big it is gonna be a big task to kind of unravel that and to start changing that culture I think it is starting to change I think we're at the start of that beginning to change and you know, if you look at some of the polling, you know, four day working week it, it is it's popular across the board, but it's more popular with the younger generation coming through. And I think there is that sense from the younger generation that, you know, they, they don't want their lives to be defined by work in the same way as it has been for their parents' generation or their grandparents' generation. I think that shift is starting to change. I think that's quite exciting, um, but it is going to take, take a while to, to shift that this about having more of a focus on, well, it's partly about enjoying your life quite rightly isn't it but it's also about impact and meaning rather than busyness in this kind of classic sense that we've just talked about yeah and, and, and some of those con- conversations are quite that's quite interesting you know when we because we do coaching as well you know we do coaching and training with companies and organizations to help them with moving to a four-day one keep week and it's interesting it's like we often ask the question at the very beginning is then what, what do you define as kind of success for your organization kind of what are those metrics what are the what's the real bits of work or focus that you know really brings the the kind of rewards for your organization and sometimes the, the there can be a sense of confusion amongst kind of businesses and companies. I'm often surprised that they're, they're, they're almost not clear about what they're actually trying to achieve in a working week. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's fascinating. And it, I think it does highlight for the, the kind of culture we've had in this country for a long time. It's just kind of, we work these hours and we, and we kind of do stuff in that time. And actually what, what we're saying is that, you know, actually we can be more focused. We can be more strategic about what we're trying to get done at work and fit that into four days and then have a you know have enjoy our lives much more outside of work and we start yes. learning about these concepts so early don't we I mean I vividly remember my daughter she's 10 now but when she was two my husband put her down for a nap and he was oh I can hear something upstairs what's going on and he went upstairs and she was sitting in my office where I'm sat right now pretending to tap on the keyboard she was only two years old at the time and my husband went what are you doing and she said I am too busy to nap, Daddy. So it's just frightening how early on in life we start to realise that our value is kind of demonstrated through this sense of of being busy, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And 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 why? You know, I think we do have to ask the question: like, why is it seen as a badge of honour to be sort of busy all the time? Why is that something that we kind of reward or we seem to kind of 
elevate someone's social status because they're busy all the time. I mean, I don't think that's really a good thing to, to strive for. And, and and it is, you know, even when you're right, even when we, when we go to school for the first time, whatever it is, seven or eight years old, you know, we're five days a week, we're on the five days a week model and it's drilled into us from the from the very start. And, and obviously, if we, you know, we're talking about what we are kind of advocating for in the long term is the kind of societal economic shift to a four-day work a week for everyone. Of course, you couldn't really do that overnight. You know, you couldn't, you can't really give all of the schools a four-day week unless you're giving parents a four-day week too, which is why we actually launched our manifesto this week, which is why we're saying, you know, there does need to be coordination on this from kind of government, business leaders, trade union leaders to, to really think about how we can implement this across the economy. But yeah, it's gonna take it's gonna take a long time to shift the mentality. But I, I do I've been encouraged that that is starting to happen. Yeah, I was going to ask that question about something like schools because I know um, there's work being done to to try and get this into at least the NHS, healthcare workers to try and increase productivity and give people a, a, a bit more of a, a break. Um, but it'd be interesting to explore, I guess, how that works. Are there any schools or any sort of um, educational institutions that are picking it up or are at least trying to, to do something with it? Yeah, there's a, there's a handful of schools that have moved to four and a half day a week. Um, but because of the government regulation, there's a certain amount of hours. I think it's 32 hours that have to be delivered um, just by the kind of you know, education laws. So that, can, that does make it trickier in the education sector for them to actually do a true kind of four day week for staff and kids um and i think you know i think it's it's almost a separate conversation around the kind of benefits for, for children and kids of being in the in school one day less i think there, i think i think there is a compelling case for, for kids in their development you know to have more time to play and have more time outside of the kind of classroom and the kind of exam kind of culture which comes with schools but i think that's quite a separate case from um kind of benefits for teachers but you know if we think about set all of the sectors of the economy and I can't think, really think of two better examples where you know burnout stress overwork are kind of rife you know that is you think about NHS and schools you look at the data on this I mean you know it's particularly in education teachers are leaving after a year burnt out and you know and that means that that means the kids education suffer because the, you know the best teachers are moving on and not staying in the sector um, and creates all sorts of problems in terms of job job recruitment job retention so they really, you know, for thinking about this holistically, there is there is a case for getting it, but it's quite difficult to to implement that on a kind of bit by bit, one school here, one school there. There does need to be some some wider coordination. Yeah, and it was commented in this. Uh, I, as I said, I, I I told a WhatsApp group that you were coming onto this um, call this morning and got loads of comments back and. That was one of the questions. So, okay, if the school goes to a four-day week, what's the point of me having a four-day week? I might have to go back to a five-day week because if the kids are around, then I lose the benefit of having that fifth day to myself. <laughs> I think a lot of parents probably want more time with their kids, but I'm sure it goes the other way as well. Um, and I mean, obviously, there's there's all sorts of problems with childcare in this country as well, which hopefully is is is, is you know is finally getting a bigger conversation around it anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's tricky. And you know, the worrying thing in the NHS as well is that, you know, if you look at the, all the survey data, you know, the number one reason NHS workers are leaving is because there's a lack of work-life balance. It comes back time and time again in all the survey data. It's the, it's the first reason they're putting. And so, yes, we need more nurses and doctors. And yes, you know, there, there probably would be some cost to that and the government would have to, you know, put some money in there. But whatever whatever's happening right now is not working, you know, um, for anyone. So we do need to think think bigger. So who's coming to you then? So who's coming to help for you to help? We hear four-day week is being sort of more widely adopted by small businesses, but 
Who in Yorick, so who, who's sort of coming to you demanding help or, or looking for help? Yeah, so, so it's a really, really wide mix of companies, really. Um, it does tend to be at the moment the kind of smaller, smaller businesses in the private sector who have kind of been the kind of earlier pioneers. There's definitely hundreds, hundreds of those companies that have done it in the UK, which is, you know, it's just a significant, it's still, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of, uh, still a, a relatively smaller scale, but it's a significant change in, you know, where we were a few years ago, where you could kind of count the amount of four day week companies on one or two hands. Um, and and we ran the the biggest ever pilot um, of four day working week in the world so far last year. We had about sixty one companies signed up, which was the, the equivalent of three thousand workers. Um, and the exciting thing was it was a real mix of, of companies from across different sectors of the economy. So we had kind of healthcare, retail, manufacturing, hospitality. We had a fish and chip shop taking part. We had a brewery <laughs> taking part. And and they weren't all taking Fridays off. You know, some some of those companies were doing thirty two hours, but but on a different rotation. So some staff having Mondays off, some staff having Fridays off. Some companies even doing five days, but five much shorter days. So thirty two hours over five days. But you know, the overriding principle they're reducing hours by eighty percent and maintaining pay. And the results were incredible. You know, we had almost every company at the end of that six month trial decided to continue with it. And really, really impressive results in terms of the benefits for workers, better well being, uh, better mental health. People just, you know, reporting that their, their life satisfactions up, you know, enjoying their lives more. Um, and then on the flip side for, for the companies, you know, companies actually making more profits than they were before job retention up, you know, reduction in sick days. So it's a real clear benefits for businesses as well. So it tends to be a real mix. We, we've started running more kind of national rollout programs. So, and we're going to run those kind of quarterly to support companies in moving to a 40 minutes. It does seem to be a, a real mix, really. I couldn't, we can't really pin it down in terms of this particular sector um, that comes to us more. And Joe, that kind of impetus, that energy for those conversations you've talked about with companies, where is it coming from? Is it coming more from the kind of grassroots, the employees, or is the drive coming from leaders? What what trends are you noticing there? I think initially, and I, and I think that's where we are, I, I believe we're at the very beginning of a societal shift towards a four-day working week. And if you look at the history of, of the kind of move from a six-day week to a five-day week, it did take at least a decade, you know, it was at least a decade um, for that change to happen, I think we're at the very beginning of that. So, it, in, in in that respect, it is the kind of really, it is the kind of early pioneers. It is the bosses who are like, you know what, this this sounds really good. We're going to make this work. I believe in my in my workers, and I'm really going to value them by giving them this 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 change. Um, but also, it's, you know, going to kind of benefit our business as well. Um, have the better productivity and all the rest of it. So, I think it is. Yeah, I think the kind of hundreds of companies that have done it so far. They are the kind of the people, the bosses, the, the good bosses, if you like, who really believe in it, who really believe in, in passing back to their workers, um, which has been great. But, you know, that's not going to lead to a four day working week for everyone. So we do, we, we we are starting to see more and more of kind of workers thinking about how they can kind of start organising for this in their workplace. You know, can they start demanding this and and, and they're presenting the kind of case for it to their employer? Um, and we are, you know, we are trying to get more and more support from the trade union movement as well in terms of you know them them also being involved in this because you know it was we've got to remember it was the trade unions that, that basically won us the weekend 100 years ago so there's, we think there's definitely a role for them to play in this that's so interesting and what it makes me think of is some of the conversations i've had with people who have successfully taken on a four-day week 
and how it forces you to be really disciplined in how you spend your time across those four days, like less meetings and all that kind of thing. Are there any trends that you've seen in those changes in working habits that people might need to make in order to really go for it with a four day week? Yes, I think, I think there's two parts to, to the four day working week being implemented successfully. The first part is just that, you know, you reduce people's hours, well-being does go up and that is is, is always passed on back to, to the kind of workplace. So that, you know, you, you do just get natural productivity gains from that. But the second part of it is is about working differently and working smarter and, and, and kind of refocusing priorities sometimes for organisations. Um, and and yeah, we do a whole whole load of work with companies sometimes to think about that. And you, you do also sort of naturally adjust. You know, it's like, for example, when I start my working week on a Monday, I kind of I know it's Monday to Thursday, so I you know you just adjust the fit things in until then. And sometimes that will mean having a much busier Thursday than I normally would do but you know I'm quite happy to work like that and have a kind of quite get quite a lot done on that Thursday to mean that Friday I'm fully off and not thinking about work at all um so that that's been reported back a few times by by employees you know so this sort of like you naturally adjust to, to fit your work into those four days then you have to be quite disciplined don't you so you know I've I've said several times to Zoe right that's it doing a nine day uh, a nine day fortnight and then when it comes to that Friday and somebody sends you that email saying, oh, could you just fit in a call on Friday morning? You go, well, yeah, I suppose I could because then I've got the whole of the rest of the day ahead of me. And then suddenly two calls and then three calls mm-hmm. and then that disappears. So I guess it's it's easier for an organisation, it should be an organ, easier for an organisation like mine or, or, or Zoe's to just say, right, that's it, that's what we're doing. And then when anybody joins, that's what they're joining as opposed to creating this change in an organisation that's just not used to it. Um, yeah, and, and I think that highlights one of the biggest problems we're facing, which is that, you know, organisations that are moving to a four-day working week are doing it still in a society which is very dominated by this kind of five-day working week and this kind of always-on culture. And, you know, we think we also have to consider the impact that, you know, smartphones have had on the workplace and this kind of, yeah, this always-on, you know, you're always expected to kind of have your emails on your phone and, respond to stuff and yeah I mean that that's that's why we, we, we do always say when companies move to a four-day week is like you know don't hide the fact you've done it you know kind of put it on your email signature make sure people know that's how you're working so people because because then people know not to contact you on that Friday because because usually they can just contact you on the Monday instead you know like it, it, it's not normally that we always have we all have moments in work where there's a there's a, we just we just really need to get your head down and get stuff done but most of the time it's not like that um, and, and stuff can't, can wait until the Monday, but it, it's tricky, you know, without society kind of wholeheartedly adopting that, you know, across the board. And so everyone's kind of knows that, that, that that's the new working pattern, that, that you are going to have those issues. So there is a level of discipline, but um, we don't, we don't find it it, 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 it takes that much. And we all have, we, on our, on our, on our email um, signatures, we all have, you know, our standard working days are Monday to Thursdays and people know that, I think. So which companies are doing this especially well? Through your work, who have you seen, Joe, that's implemented this really effectively? That's a good question. I mean, it's always the best case. Uh, best cases are always the ones where there's like real amount of time has been put into with staff consultation beforehand. So to really sit down with staff, talk through their hopes, their fears, um, and, and, and try and work through some of those as much as possible before actually adopting it. Um, 
to really include them in, in the process. So they're really built into the, to the kind of journey. Um, Friends of the Earth, actually, the, the NGO you may have heard of, they've just moved to a four-day work week. And they, you know, they, they, they took their time over it. I think they took between six months to a year in terms of the senior HR managers and, uh, and, and senior management really considering it and thinking about how it's going to work. Then having a, a full consultation process of all the different department to see how it was going to work you know they didn't come into it saying this is how we're doing it and everyone's going to have this day off and in the end they, they, they've ended up because that through their consultation they've ended up with half the staff having Mondays off and half the staff having Fridays off and they've done it that way um but yeah that's one recent example that's been successful well, they're doing a I, I read um, this week and I think I've got a, a, a friend and colleague who um uh, lives in Lisbon and talked about how they were talking about uh, a trial in Portugal. Now they've instigated it, haven't they? Which is is, is really interesting across many organisations and businesses out in, in Portugal. And an interesting thing, sort of a related comment to that, is the article that I was reading was um, in an American uh, publication and they were talking about the huge influx of young Americans to Portugal for that very reason, which I found <laughs> fascinating. That is interesting. I didn't know about that. Um, that's funny. They've just come for the four-day week, even though it's just a trial <laughs> with, with 40, 50 companies. That's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that does show how popular it is. Um, and I mean, we, we think things are bad here. We should look at the USA in terms of working hours. And um, I mean, you know, I don't think they even get much paid holiday in America. So they're, they're definitely, things are, are worse over there. So I'm not surprised that they're desperate before you but it is you know it is a conversation which is taking off all over the world including in america um we've seen a couple of states advocating for this um and and kind of legislation being pushed through the congress as well so it's definitely a conversation which is taking off and yeah in, in scotland in portugal in spain uh i think there's this government pilot starting this year uh, and obviously we had a there was a big pilot which took place in iceland um which again was very successful and resulted in almost the entire population in iceland moving to a shorter working week so that's the the country that's kind of furthest ahead on the journey um, and then and then other notable like high you know multinational companies as well you know there's microsoft in japan trialed it and unilever are trialing it in their australia and new zealand offices at the moment so Stephanie, yeah, which is exciting just to see that taking off you know, across the globe because it, it's kind of funny when you think about it. Like this nine to five, five day working week is still the norm across the Western world, even though the economies are very different. That, that seems to be the standard. Yeah, it's so interesting, isn't it, to see how different countries are approaching this stuff. And it's fascinating you mentioning Portugal because. Paul, I remember we discussed something about this, didn't we, during one of the lockdowns, how they're quite progressive on things like working from home policies. And I think they also have that digital nomad visa as, as, as well. Mm. Um, so you talked there, Joe, about this kind of societal shift that needs to happen in different countries for the four day week to really be implemented across the board. Is that what's required to, to have this real legislative firepower behind it to truly embed it? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, if you think about the nature of the global economy now, and it is global, people are working with people all over the world all the time. And I think even more so now, the move towards Zoom and, uh, you know, work, yeah, through different platforms. So, you know, it would be better if it's, a, you know, in fact, because we've actually worked with quite a few kind of global corporations as well, or organisations that have offices all over the world. And it's like, you know, that it's going to be difficult to implement 
four day week in one place if there are other partners who are working five or six days a week in another country who they work with all the time so it, yeah it, it, we'd hope that it would kind of spread like that um I think it has got to that stage now where you know workers particularly in this country you know with a lot of workers are burnt out they're stressed they're overworked and a lot of them aren't being paid very well either you know and like working long hours for very little pay it's, it's not really it's no way to live um and there is a sense now that people are desperate for change really um and, and I, I think that applies across more broadly you know across the globe not just in the uk i think it's a problem across western economies so if i am a leader and i want to to implement this um number one i can pick up the phone uh, get in touch with with you and the campaign and and um, get some help to to do it but role modelling has always been really important to me. I just remember I, I was reflecting a story that um, I heard when I was, I was working for a firm of accountants. And the floor plan was such that the lifts were sort of central to the, the building and there were two, it was circular, so you could move around the office in different ways. And there was one partner, so, you know, very, very high up in the organisation, but had a small child that he needed to pick up from nursery. And rather than walk past his team, to get to the lift, he'd walk the other way to get to the lift on the days where um, he had to go and pick his, his, his child up from nursery. Jafel was really sad and also mm. not great role modeling. So how do we, how do you help leaders um, who, who need to sort of step up and make sure that they're leading by example to actually do that? Well, the, the, the best way, the best, the best thing is to actually make sure that if you're a senior management level, you know, that you actually do it as well. Um, because we have seen that a few times where, you know, the rest of the workforce is doing, you know, sticking to their four day week, but the kind of managers are coming in on Fridays. And it actually, that sets a bad example because then as a more junior employee, you know, you feel like, well, you're not, you're not working as hard as they are. Um, so I would say to stick to it as much as possible from management. And, you know, of course, that may be trickier in the first couple of months or, for, you know, there's always a, a period of adjustment when moving to, to four days. We wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't necessarily expect everyone to have four days every single week for the first three to six months. But by the end of that, it tends to be around six months. By the end of that six month period, the whole organisation just does change the way it's working. And it does feel more natural for everyone. And so sticking to it is important. And, but yeah, not just to, also just, I think as I was hinting at before, you know, not, not dictating too much the kind of terms of everything um, and we saw we, we definitely worked with one quite big company who they their parameters were that you know you can have the four-day week if you're meeting these very specific performance targets if they're not being met then you're going to lose it so there's one department who lost the four-day week for a month during their six-month trial because they weren't meeting their performance targets and then they got it back afterwards, but it just it, it created a not very nice culture in the workplace, and, and we wouldn't recommend doing it that way. We'll include some stories in the um, in the in the show notes, and anything you want to to share as well, please do send through. But one one I noticed was that, and I think I picked this up from the Daily Mail, which was always helpful. Um, who were uh, you know, this council is in trouble because they have implemented a four day week, and everyone's really upset about it. But one of the things that they said from the, the headline I read was. Um, four-day week trials in pub, in public sector in South Cambridgeshire. Yeah. And it says they will test the 32-hour week on the principle that staff will work more intensely and productively. And it's that word intensely that really, mm. really sort of hits home. It, it's like, well, yeah, you can have this, but, you know, regiment, regiment, regiment. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it was only the Daily Mail that were angry about that council. Maybe <laughs> yeah. took whatever. I don't think anyone else was. You know, definitely because we worked with them on that, and there definitely hasn't been any complaints from residents. You know, and they're trying. Like, the council are actually trying to save money through doing it, and it's, from from what we've seen, this actually works very well. You know, they're, they're actually meeting all of their performance targets. So. But yeah, um, and I think that is a problem. And perhaps, to be frank, that maybe you know, I'll be honest, maybe mistakes we've made as well in the campaign, like the the um, the principles in which we communicated the UK pilot. We were working on that with a few other organisations. Was the kind of 180-100 model, which is about kind of achieving 100% productivity in 80% of the time um, while maintaining pay. And actually, we've we've moved away from that now because we don't think that's actually very, very helpful framing. Um, like it is about, you know, people will be more productive when they're working less, but it's not, it's also about working differently and changing the way you work. And so we, we do think that kind of 180, 100 isn't, isn't quite communicate before the week. In some cases, it will be about changing job descriptions to remove some tasks that aren't particularly useful really um so i, I think sometimes you know maybe, maybe we've got the communication a little bit wrong there but I think we're starting to be clearer than around you know how how this works and how this works really well and don't believe the daily mail and don't believe the daily mail, yeah that's <laughs> always a good one for life but yeah so joe what challenges do you see ahead for your campaign so we talked a lot about where the campaign is now but what challenges and perhaps what opportunities and trends do you see ahead yeah, I mean, I think the main challenge is, is yeah, trying to persuade more and more organisations to move to a four-day week while society is still so dominated by a five-day week. Um, and so the challenge there really is, is persuading um, the government, um, and obviously we're probably going to have a change of government in the next year to 18 months, persuading the government of the time to really take this seri- seriously and really be involved in this, uh, you know, involved in the coordination, because... Without government involvement, it's going to be very hard to, to see this going to roll out across the economy. So I think that's going to be a big challenge over the next couple of years. Um, but we're quite confident, you know, and one area we haven't touched upon is like automation, artificial intelligence, new technology. I mean, all of this is going to make the workforce more productive, but it also is going to, you know, reduce the amount of work and jobs there are available. And so from our point of view, the best way of dealing with that is a shorter working week. So you're sharing the kind of diminishing amounts of work equally across the economy. I mean, and in that way, we can all benefit from artificial intelligence and, and, and automation. It means we don't have to be scared of it. So definitely uh, in terms of opportunities, we think that is, is, is going to be more and more of an opportunity. And if you think about the NHS, you know, there's, there's ways in which artificial intelligence and, and new technology is being rolled out across the NHS to make, for example, operations more uh, you know efficient and productive which should reduce the amount of work so I think that's a huge opportunity really. The way I could actually make the four-day week a bit easier to do. Yeah definitely I mean someone was saying the other day you know we should have we should already have a four-day week and AI should give us a three-day week but I don't think we're quite there yet in terms of advocating for a three-day week um, one day at a time but yeah I think Definitely, you know, and there was a Nobel Prize winning economist who said it about a month ago, he was like, you know, artificial intelligence should mean finally workers get a four-day week. Yeah, we definitely agree with him on that. Amazing. Joe, thank you so much. This has been really inspiring. I'm sure lots of leaders listening to this will find it so useful for helping them plan for a four-day week. And you've certainly got Paul and I thinking that we must try and work a four-day week sooner rather than later. So thank you for all your practical advice and for giving us such a great insight into the trends out there. 
That's right. Yeah, you should you should definitely give it a go. I always, you know, I always say, why not give it a go for a couple of months and see how it's, see how it works. What's the worst that can happen? You try it for three months and, and see how it goes. And but yeah, thanks for having me on. No, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much to Joe for coming onto the podcast. A fascinating look at how we make that work-life blend work for us all. Um, and we'd be really interested to know from all of our listeners how you're embracing uh, the idea or not of the four-day week or the nine-day fortnight. And if you are, your stories, please. We'd love to hear about that. We're now going off on our summer holidays. So the next episode will be in September which feels like a long way off, but will be here in a flash. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. We're at at starts at the top one. And you can also email us at starts at the top at gmail.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that you can rate and review, please do. All those ratings and particularly the reviews help us to gather more listeners. So tell us what you like about the podcast. And we will come back to speak to you again in September. Thanks for listening. See you in September.